Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio, yada, yada, you know what I'm talking about. Good morning and howdy. How are you guys doing? You ready to go for this beautiful, crisp and clear and windy Thursday? Happy Leap Day. Only happens once every four years. Here we are just doing our thing. One extra day a year. What are you going to do with it? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to interview one of my favorite writers over at Reason Magazine. That's right. Today on the program, Emma Camp is going to be joining us to talk about an article that she wrote uh, just day before yesterday. Uh, as soon as I read the article, I reached out to her and asked her if she could come on and talk about it. It is um, troubling. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm seriously worried about this, uh, and, uh, about the direction the country's going. And this is just one more indication of it. So Emma Camp, assistant editor over at Reason, she's going to be joining us here in about, uh, 10 minutes or so, 12 minutes, and we'll be taking on, uh, <clears throat> taking on some interesting tasks. This is a... Well, let me just put it this way. The title of the article reads, Poll, Almost a Third of Americans Say the First Amendment Goes Too Far. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the headline. The, the First Amendment Goes Too Far. And uh, if that doesn't immediately make the pucker factor just, mm, yeah. Uh, I'm seriously concerned about that. So we're going to uh, be talking with her about that here in just a little bit. And then in hour two, we'll be joined by Shelly Hughes, who will come on to talk about her bill um, for the arming of, uh, of, uh, of teachers who uh, want to be armed, who are eligible and want to be armed, SB 173. And the fact that it's going to be getting a hearing a week from tomorrow. So we'll be talking with her about that. Plus, probably get a little bit of a feel for what's happening um, over the <clears throat> education bill, defined benefits, uh, everything else. So that's uh, that's all coming up uh, here today. And we appreciate you uh, coming on board and joining us. All right. Uh, what are some of the headlines that I want to reach on before we uh, before we reach out to Emma Camp here? Um, well, of course, it's always interesting to read the takes from some of the major news media outlets on things. You can definitely see uh, the bias bleeding through on it. I mean, there's just there's no two ways about it. There's always bias in one way or the other. Uh, if I'm reading Must Read Alaska, I'm definitely getting a slant. 
uh, from the more uh, conservative bias. If I'm reading some of the mainstream papers like the Alaska Beacon, I'm getting more of a left wing bias. But it's it's always interesting to see where it um, where it shows up and where it pushes back on. Um, but, uh, sometimes it doesn't mean, doesn't, doesn't mean that they're not right, depending on what's going on. Uh, one of the stories that stuck out to me this morning was a piece from Suzanne Downing yesterday over at Must Read talking about Murkowski. And the question says, will Lisa Murkowski leave the Republican party? She hints that it's an option to which I immediately thought, you mean she hasn't left the Republican party? I mean, <clears throat> maybe not in membership, but boy, she seemed to have left it. Um, you know, I I'm just saying she seems to have left it far, far behind a long time ago. This all came out of an interview uh, when she was asked by a CNN reporter if she would consider changing her party affiliation to independent. Now, this was she was being interviewed about the news that Senator Mitch McConnell is stepping down as the minority leader in November, to which many of us would say, well, that's, (laughs) can it be any sooner? I think is what a lot of us are saying. Um, The, uh, uh, so she was asked uh, about whether or not she uh, would change her party to independent. She said that possibility is not off the table. Um, The Fox News story on it said it has Republicans uh, reflecting on what happens to the party in the months ahead and has some weighing whether they can fit into a GOP that was more modeled after Trump than the Reagan Republicanism that McConnell embodies, which, I mean, I've got some issues with that phraseology, but whatever. Um. Asked if she would become an independent, Murkowski said, that's not something I'm prepared to discuss in terms of where I am, but I am watching very carefully what we are seeing in the party and the party's choices and with where Republicans are leaning. Uh, and I am clearly not one who is following the Trump the Trump path at all. So, again, it's not about Lisa Murkowski. It's, uh, it is like, what is our party right now? But <clears throat> that being said... The direction the Republican Party seems to be taking in Alaska is in favor for Trump as president, according to numerous polls. In 2020, he won Alaska with 53 percent of the general vote. Biden received 43. This year, the pattern appears to be repeating. Uh, Murkowski is not only vocal in her disapproval. Remember, she voted to impeach him as well. But uh, I I mean, I I, I just got to say that even though the Republican Party See, there's two pieces of the Republican Party here, right? You've got the Republican Party as far as people. And yes, they seem to be overwhelmingly favoring Trump, uh, you know, for for president. But then you have the actual Republican Party, the party itself. And they seem to be okay with doing, you know, with with trying to run the middle of the road with uh, that. I mean, they've endorsed Lisa. They've worked around to make sure that she stays in power for as long as she can. And in fact, they have been instrumental in keeping a lot of the same old business as usual crowd in Juno for years. They've actively worked against conservative forces. Um, you know, for example, in the Mike Shower race where they gave money to his opponent. I mean, again, 
his opponent. He's an incumbent. He's supposed to get, he's like one of the more conservative members of the thing. He's supposed to get some protection and do all, and they gave a bunch of money to his opponent. I mean, it's just, it, um, <clears throat> it would seem that the Republican Party is, um, in the state of Alaska specifically, is about as dysfunctional as you can get. Uh, so would it surprise me if Murkowski decided to glom on to that um, uh, onto that independent moniker? No. I mean, it's, you know, if you want to if you're looking to uh, to, uh, you know, fool more people into believing that you're one thing or another. I mean, we've seen this. How many times have we seen this in the legislature? Right. Where people that we know are hardcore hardcore progressives are taking on that independent moniker because you know it's more palatable to many of the potential voters out there i mean elise galvin and etc i mean you know we know that that's going on right now so would lisa murkowski fit right into the middle of that pack probably probably now the interesting thing is is that uh with mcconnell stepping down um, there are some questions as to who's going to step in. Murkowski is currently fifth in seniority among the Republicans, not counting McConnell. Chuck Grassley of Iowa is there. Susan Collins of Maine, Michael Crapo of uh, uh, Idaho, John Cornyn of Texas. But Collins and Murkowski are both out as speakers because of their liberal records. Chuck Grassley is out. He's 90, going to be 91 in November. So Senator Rand Paul has been mentioned as a good option, but he is from Kentucky, as is McConnell, and they don't like to, you know, they don't want to give Kentucky too much power. And then uh, some of the others mentioned are John Brasso of Wyoming, John Cornyn of Texas, John Thune of South Dakota, and Rick Scott of Florida. To which I all say, <clears throat> it's all Game of Thrones, and do I really care about that? No. Here's the other thing that caught my attention. I love the headline on this, and this comes from the Alaska Beacon. Uh, Claire Strempel. Dunleavy proposes crackdown on unpermitted public protests. I love how that sounds because it just sounds like he's like, you've got to beg permission to protest. You've got to beg permission to come out and, and have your say and exercise your first. That's what the headline reads like, right? Dunleavy proposes crackdown on unpermitted public protests. But what you find out is that it's not necessarily aimed at making sure that you have to get a permit or do anything else. This is about per, uh, street protests and other activities that block passages through public spaces like we've seen across the country with people blocking highways and roadways and airports and, and waterways and everything else to the point to where sometimes people die. I mean, people, you know, they hold these protests and instead of holding protests like in a park, on a square, on a sidewalk, they spill into the streets and they stop traffic dead. Like that's really going to bring people over to your side. Let's see. You've inconvenienced me for a tremendous amount of time. You've made me late. I've missed my appointments. I didn't get my thing. I've got an ambulance back there that somebody dies in because they can't get to the hospital. And you think somehow that's going to convince people over to your point of view. I mean, just watch the oil protesters, the stop oil now people and, and everything. I mean, it's just it's astonishing. And people, have, they've had enough of it. I mean, the, the, the regular people who are not protesting, or just, they just had enough of it. This bill 
would impose penalties for obstructing highways, navigable waterways, airport runways, and other public spaces, specifically in situations where there's a significant risk of physical harm or interference, and the civil liability could be as high as a Class C felony, which <clears throat> I'm all okay with. But remember, this is not about having to go get a permit to protest. This is about getting a permit to protest if you're going to be on a public roadway. But that's not how it's written. Dunleavy proposes crackdown on unpermitted public protests. It's just, it's so telling. It's so telling how they uh, continually try to frame this narrative. This is about keeping people out of the highways and off the roadways. Um, some states, by the way, Oklahoma and Iowa, lawmakers have gone as far as shielding drivers from civil liability if they hit protesters who are in the public thoroughfare with their vehicles. And Floridians may not be sued if they injure or kill a protester that's participating in a riot. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I just at some point, you know, you're going to play stupid games and you're going to win stupid prizes. That's what's going to happen there. Anyway, it's just, it again, just the unrequited bias that you see in these headlines just makes me chuckle every time. All right, we got to go. Uh, Emma Camp, Reason Magazine, is about to join us. We're looking forward to that. We're going to continue here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio, crackdown on unpermitted public protests. <laughs> I mean, can't you hear the headline now? Can't you hear it? Back with more. <clears throat> Free speech is our topic. It's up next. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. All right. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Ships at sea. What the what the what the what? Uh, all right. I'm going through some of the comments real quick, see if there's anything earth shattering out there. Uh, I dropped a link to Emma's column in the uh, chat. If you didn't see it, you should go read that thing because woof. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Getting frigid here. Yeah, I mean, a little brief. I opened the door and the dog was like, mm, I'm going to step outside and then I'm going to come back in. I had to make him go out there because, oof, man, that wind was brutal this morning. It's like four degrees at the house, but I guarantee you it's like 15 below with a wind chill. Um, all right. Uh, but yada, yada. Terry says, with Ann Brown stepping down, Ann Brown is the chair of the Alaska Republican Party. Hopefully we get better, better leadership. Well, you couldn't get much worse. I mean, you couldn't get much worse than that. Um, uh, it's whatever fits the moment. Remember when Bryce Edgman became an independent so he could become House Speaker? I mean, again, that's the right. That's the new. Oh, I'm not a. I'm not a progressive. I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent. I'm. I'm independent. Nobody can tell me what to do. Um. All right. <clears throat> I think we're all caught up on that. All right. I see that Emma is in the green room and she is eating all of my virtual donuts. I don't understand. Um, she's, she's, oh. 
<laughs> I was minding eating your virtual donuts I, at the moment I, you, you I, brought I, me on. Exactly. I mean, well, the good news is, is that there is no calories in any of the virtual donuts, right? So just leave me some sprinkled ones and we're all, we're all good. Uh, Emma, it's, uh, it's been a bit and I appreciate you coming on board. Uh, how, how you been doing? How are things going? I've been great. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. You've been doing some good work um, over at Reason. I've been watching a lot of this stuff. And I know you kind of started. I was actually watching uh, or listening to the podcast uh, where you were talking about um, the cost of higher education. And, uh, man, there's some interesting stuff happening in there. We should probably have you back one day to talk about that because there is some really crazy stuff going on in there and it was it's interesting because i was having a discussion with one of my kids uh who's about your age and we were talking about uh you know whether or not they wanted to go to college and do and i was just like you know look if, if you have a specific reason that you need to go to college you need to be an engineer or something like that otherwise just go do something <laughs> you know you don't need to you don't i i think it's like the biggest scam that we've ever been sold these days is that everybody has to go to college regardless of even if you're just getting a, a degree in underwater basket weaving you know or something just to show that you've got the pigskin on the wall you could take four years of pain kind of thing you know and go two hundred thousand dollars in debt to get it done kind well, of thing actually i mean the interesting thing about college is that if you have the academic chops to finish, it is actually a good idea, right? The extra, I think for men, it's like an extra $900,000 median income for women. It's over 600,000. Um, and, you know, obviously with the exception of getting like a dance degree from NYU, like if you're just going to a state university and getting a degree in, you know, it doesn't, even in something like English, right? You're still probably going to have a higher lifetime income than right. if you never went to college. Right. The problem is that we're encouraging too many people to go to college, including people who probably just don't have the ability to finish it. People that end up, um, uh, those are the people that end up going to college, dropping out, and then leaving with all of this debt, but no actual right. increased time earning potential. Well, and the fact that we've involved the government in the subsidization of it, and of course that has just ratcheted up the costs uh, incrementally when they saw, oh, look, the government's going to be giving away all this free money. We might as well just jack everything up, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. There, there's a proposal in the Senate that I like that um, would basically. Uh, I mean, the federal government would no longer give student loans to programs where graduates earn less than someone without the relevant degree. It's basically like no federal dollars for clown college, basically. And I think that's probably like a good. good yeah. No. Anyway, we're not here to talk about student loans. I don't know. It's, you know, we can, you and I could talk for a long time. Anyway, yeah. when you hear the ding, that means we're 30 seconds from returning to the radio. So we're about 15 now. We're ready to jump back into it. Emma Camp is our guest, uh, Reason Magazine. Uh, again, we're going to talk about this poll, which when I read this, that was like, I mean, I just kind of clenched up when I heard about it. So let's get into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Oh, real. That was the second one. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. I'm a perfect angel. I am a perfect angel. Just ask my parents. My dad's in the chat room. You can ask him right now. Um, all right. Welcome back to the program. It is uh, Leap Day, Thursday. Uh, we only get to do this once every four years, so feel free to join in and, and, and enjoy it. Joining us right now is Emma Camp, 
who is a uh, assistant editor over at Reason Magazine. She has, I mean, she's got a lot of uh, uh, of awards behind her name. She's written all over the place. Uh, for somebody who is so young, she is brilliant and wise. It's it's amazing. And so you should go out and read her articles on Reason Magazine. Um, quite, We were just talking about one of her latest issues. She did a thing with a podcast about the cost of college. It was fantastic. We should bring her back on. But what I've asked her to come on about is because I read her article that just got published two days ago. And thank you for your quick response, by the way. But the headline of the, of the article reads, poll, almost a third of Americans say the First Amendment goes too far. And I just immediately was like, what? And I started reading, and this is some troubling stuff, Emma. Now, as, as a journalist, you've got to be like, whoa. As a guy who does you talk radio and commentary and anything related to free speech is just, it, it immediately just makes me want to hunker down and start loading rifles when people start saying stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean, give me the, give me the rundown here. Let's talk about what, where did this come from? What did it say? What were Americans saying? Emma Camp, thanks for coming on board. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me and thank you for patting my ego. I really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, with this poll, I I actually did not find that the one third of Americans say the First Amendment goes too far stat actually was all that surprising, though it is troubling. And I think um, the reason why is that the First Amendment protects a lot of really nasty speech. It protects a lot of hateful speech. It protects a lot of offensive speech. And I think for that third of Americans, what they were probably thinking of when they answered is, man, I know the First Amendment protects, you know, insert whatever thing that I really don't like. I would, it would be awesome if that was illegal, right? If right, saying the really right. offensive thing was illegal. Um, and, you know, not really considering that, you know, if we don't protect offensive speech, then it really erodes our ability to protect, like, basically all of the speech that people make, right? It, it, and, and also the fact that, like, what counts as offensive is very subjective. Right. Um, and so I guess there, there is a slightly reassuring thing, which is that more than two thirds of Americans don't say it goes too far, which indicates that the cultural value of free speech in America is not fully eroded yet. Um, but there were still plenty of other concerning things in this poll. Uh, another was that only 25 percent of respondents said that uh, the right to free speech was I think let, let me get the exact uh, language was uh, very or completely secure. So that also bodes poorly. It gives a sense that, you know, two, three and four Americans have a sense that free speech rights are being eroded, are not, you know, where they need to be. Um, and so I think that speaks to the general state of, you know, in the past few years longer, uh, there have been increasing attacks on both the left and the right against free speech rights. Right. right? Absolutely. Yeah. COVID, would be, COVID misinformation would be a good example. Another would be like anti-CRT bills that are attacking the, uh, ac the, the academic freedom of public college professors, stuff right. like that. Um, and also the fact that the cultural value of free speech is eroding, right? And so like cancel culture is a good example, but cancel culture happens on both the left and the right. And so people get a sense that both their legal rights are being eroded, but that their the cultural value, the fact that people appreciate free speech and diversity and a diversity of ideas is slowing down. Right. And, you know, look, we've had an axiom on this program for a long time that the, you know, the answer to speech that you don't like is more speech. 
right? So if somebody says, I hate blank people, whatever they fill it, you know, uh, whether it's color, whether it's race, whether it's creed, whatever, or they say something even more vile, the answer to that is not to shut them down, not to drive them from the public square with pitchforks and torches. The answer is to have more compelling speech on the opposite side to, you know, have an argument, to have a debate. And that's something I think, you know, we've talked about uh, in the past is that we've lost, it seems like we've lost that ability to have a uh, 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 a calm and reasoned debate on issues and even have the ability at the end to agree to disagree. We become so fractured that instead it becomes a direct ad hominem attack or an attack on, and I think a lot of it has to do with how we've internalized a lot of these policies and beliefs to where it's become part of our identity. So any attack on the belief becomes an attack on us personally and our identity and that anybody that doesn't believe that is part of the other. And so it, it really, this polarization is really driving that kind of uh, mantra out there. But there are people out there, like you said, at least two-thirds still believe that it's important. But the fact that one-third, and then you, I guess what I was thinking of when I read that is that there was a piece out here, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago from somebody at Reason, whether it was Jacob Sullum or somebody, that talked about that there was a poll that said something like 25% of Americans would be okay with the government putting cameras in their house to watch out for like domestic abuse or something. And I'm just like, what? I mean, is there, is there just like a, a quarter or a third of our population that's just like, they're okay with anything in George Orwell's 1984? They thought it was a great book. I mean, I don't know. I think for that, there's probably, you know, a little bit of a fallacy of like innocent people have nothing to hide. Um, you know, I think of I, I write a lot about, you know, uh, police and say child protective services. And a lot of times police will try to coerce people into oh, yeah. uh, allowing warrantless searches. Um, <laughs> police are not your friends. Like, yeah. Well, this will this will reflect badly on you if you don't allow this warrantless search. The right. implication being the only reason why someone would object to a cop searching their car or, you know, a child protective services searching their home uh, without a warrant is because they have something to hide because they're actually guilty rather than the idea that like, this is, this is a line the state should not cross without involvement from a judge. Right. The police are not your friend. I just, I don't know. All you have yes, to do is watch. Not. And they will often lie. Like they'll often tell people oh, we're allowed to do this when they're not, you know, I, I saw a viral video today on Twitter uh, where they, some guy found like a gun randomly when picking up trash and called the police to report it. Um, and then they were filming and the cops were like, you can't film us. It's like, you absolutely can film the police. That, oh, that's yeah, you absolutely can. That's yeah. a very All you got to do is watch one or two hours of true crime and understand that the police are not your friend. OK, because <laughs> a lot of times it's it's just so crazy. But I mean, you're right. Uh, I think, you know, overall, we need to have that speech. We need, and somebody just said, are you advocating putting Nazis on podiums because we already have that with Trump? I mean, look, people say horrible things all the time. Trump is definitely right up there with, wow. You, you, you know, there's some horrible things being said. Don't get me wrong. But the answer to speech you don't agree with is not to quash that speech. It's not to say you can't have free speech. Uh, you know, and of course, the part of the problem is we see the campuses where they're mostly outraged about any kind of conservative thought. Well, at the same time, as you mentioned, even the conservatives are getting in on this saying, well, you can't talk about your progressive idea. Everybody should be able to be free to be express to express their ideas one way or the other. Right. Right. And I think another point that I, I think a lot of people don't consider is that oftentimes the people who are saying the really objectionable stuff are stupid. 
right? And <laughs> if you say you're not allowed to say that hateful thing, then it gives them an element of mystique, right? There's a sense right. of, well, maybe I should listen to them because they're so dangerous, they're being shot down. The taboo. Um, but then you actually hear them speak, they're they're idiots, they're incomprehensible. Um, and, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? Sometimes it, when you let the really hateful people speak, you learn that uh, they, they're just absolute, they're, they're spewing absolute nonsense. Right. And it really prevents people from being attracted to them. Right. Well, you see, you know, you might read something or see something on a 148 character tweet that you're like, oh, that's really controversial and intriguing. And then you listen to the full three minutes and you go, they can't even string a full sentence together. How is that right. impressive? Right. I mean, that's, again, part of the problem. Right. And I think, too, is like Trump is an example, right? Like uh, Trump is pretty incomprehensible. But I think, you know, with uh, attempts to shut him down, maybe kick him off of certain social media platforms, um, it's led to a sense of his mystique. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. I think that if you actually well, do not want Trump to be president is not something you should be. Well, it, it leads to it's the martyrdom, right? It's the martyrdom yeah. and the persecution complex. And that's it. I mean, give everybody right. their Major chance. Enemies, victims. Yeah, exactly. And and give them give them that platform. And then and then everybody feels wounded and feels justified in doing something completely different. Uh, I mean, when we look at this this article and we look at this poll, uh, I mean, I'm I'm glad that again going back, you said two thirds of Americans, uh, you know, believe it. But again, only 25 percent of respondents agreed that the right to free speech was very or completely secure, and I would agree with that as well. I mean, we're not, you know, it's almost like we're not allowed in the public square these days to say things. People get shamed. There's a chilling effect. Uh, there was something when we talk about, you know, these days when we talk about men and women and how. You know, there's a male crisis kind of thing where men can't or don't feel free to be themselves because they're always worried about all this stuff. There's that same free speech, that chilling effect in th saying things that you believe because they're afraid they'll get canceled. There is there is a problem here. I don't know exactly. I mean, to me, the answer is always more speech. Right. But I don't know how to I don't know how to engage that and apply that principle, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a difficult one um, because fundamentally, I think the problem here is a loss of a social sort of cultural value that free speech is important. Um, but the thing is, when it comes to these kind of things that people believe, I'm not really sure that there's like a policy implementation we can make to really change people's minds. It's kind of hard to change people's minds on things. Um, and I'm not really sure, you know, you'll sometimes hear people like Chris Rufo um, and others who, uh, on the right especially, but you sometimes see us on the left, who um, basically want to erode the bad speech, like say something like CRT, which they you know say is hateful. Um, the idea being we should ban uncivil speech to increase civility, right? Civility is an important value. It's a pro-free speech value. But Absolutely. the only way we get that is by outlying or, you know, maybe not outlying, that's too strong of a word, cracking down on uncivil speech. Right. Um, and that is the thing. Sometimes like the actual First Amendment, actual free speech is in conflict with civility because you right. have to allow uncivil speech. Absolutely. Um, and so I think this is something where it's kind of difficult to say what to do, just try to persuade people. Um, but 
I don't know. It's hard. I don't have a great answer for what to do here. Uh, so the same person just said, you can't field hate speech, though, because it makes you complicit with it. And this is the same kind of mindset that says silence is violence, right? That that you're complicit because you would allow, even though you may not agree with a speech, because you allowed somebody to say something that's hurtful or hateful, you're just as complicit with it. That's ridiculous. I mean, that is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. People could say things that I do not agree with. What am I supposed to do? Take them out back and beat them with sticks to make them stop? I mean, otherwise I'm complicit in it? That is, I mean, that's a that's a straw man fallacious argument right there if I ever heard one. Uh, again, if you disagree with someone on something and they say something hurtful or hateful, which, of course, again, the mainstream media Boy, they love that because that is the click machine for ever for bringing everybody in and being able to play that clip and do everything else. I mean, and they're contributing to that kind of divisiveness because, again, it generates it generates eyeballs and does stuff like that. But I mean, the idea that somehow just because you agree with or support the idea that anybody should be free to say anything and live with the consequences, I might add, of those things, then, you know, is ridiculous to me. Right. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think also another element of this is that what is hate speech is incredibly subjective, right? So there might be something that you find really offensive that you really dislike that you think, you know, people should not allow, they should crack down on, they're complicit if they allow it. But there are also probably plenty of things that you believe uh, that other people think are hate speech. And I'm not really sure we want to create a cultural value where you know, everybody is, you know, there's one theater that won't show anything from anybody, you know, an iota to the left of them and another that won't show anything from anybody and iota to the right of them. We're constantly attacking each other. Um, and I think instead it's just much more productive to embrace sort of open-mindedness and also a sense again, that like not shutting down speech, you know, speech you disagree with does not mean that you're right. complicit. In. You well, know, the sense of a, of a, um, sort of open forum of right. ideas, which does include allowing bad ideas. Right. Well, because then it comes down to the point of, okay, well, who becomes the arbiter of what speech is hate? Right. Exactly. What I mean, is it government? I mean, do, do first of all. Yeah, exactly. Like, do you not think that the Trump administration would make saying something like all cops are bastards hate speech the moment they could? Like if we had an actual hate speech. I mean, you're seeing this with um, in lots of places in Europe, right, where peaceful pro-Palestine demonstrations are virtually illegal. Right. Like, I don't I don't actually think that's a good way to go. Um, and I think the same you could you know, I think you would see a similar thing happening where in you know red states in the United States, peaceful pro-Palestine demonstrations would be illegal if they could be. And in blue states, you know, peaceful pro-Israel demonstrations might be made illegal. Um, you know, th there's really no way of outlawing hate speech that won't end up hurting speech that you right. like. And going back to your idea of the theater that plays only things to the, you know, to the left of them or to the, I mean, again, it goes back again to that polarization, which again, leads me to the question whether or not this is intentional at some point, right? That this kind of outrage is not generated and manufactured to try and keep us, you know, kind of separated and divided instead of trying to find that common middle ground between things on that. And that, that worries me even more. Not that I'm a huge big conspiracy guy, because again, you know, just look at government. I don't know if a big conspiracy could could be manufactured and sustain itself. You know, right? They have a hard time running the post office. But at the same time, I get a little worried that some of this is intentional because, again, it keeps us divided. And uh, and I think that's a you know we we can't even have a rational conversation about this stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure I would go so far as to say that it's intentional, but I do think it's very beneficial for partisans. 
right? If yeah. you're, if you're, you know, very, you know, if you're a strident partisan Democrat or Republican or, or any other ideology, um, polarization is good for you. It's very good to make a demon out of the other side to sort of bully, uh, you know, people in your camp from being open-minded, from possibly tacking to the center in any way. Um, and, and so I, I think it's just like a, a useful, something like cancel culture, for example, is a very useful political tool um, but it's just, a, it's a political tool and politics are often like the antithesis of like good discussion uh, and, and, you know, like it, it, politics are bad in my view. I'm not a fan of politicians. It is the, it is the one evil. It's the second oldest profession, right? Uh, right. politicians for, uh, for a reason. Uh, Emma Camp is our guest. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will continue with her. Uh, we'll finish up our ideas on free speech and we may just touch on a couple other things that she's been working on as well. Uh, you can find her writings over at reason magazine, reason.com, uh, where you can watch it and read it all online, or you can uh, get the actual paper version, which is, that's just weird these days, right? I mean, it's just weird. Uh, we're back with more and Emma Camp right after this. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the, on the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Emma Camp uh, is our guest here uh, on the program. You know, it, that's that. It's. It's so painful sometimes to watch, you know, when you're a libertarian, I used to say, people say, well, you know, you do a talk show. What are you? Are you a right-wing Republican? I'm like, no, I'm a libertarian. Everybody hates me, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, the left, the right, the, you know, I am not a fan of, uh, I, 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 I respect law enforcement, but I'm not a fan of, you know, only the blue, the blue line and everybody should be protected, um, not on the defund part of it or anything else. But it's funny that you talked about that because my wife came to me. She's a she's a true crime, um, like a documentary. She's a junkie, right? She loves to watch the the Keith Morrison and the Dateline and all the documentaries and all this stuff. And she said to me something about five or six months ago. She goes, you know, after watching all these things for all these years, she goes, I realized how right you were when you said, you know, police are great. We need police, but never trust the police to do to be in your best interest. Their job is to, you know, and she's like, because I just watched this again and again and again <laughs> on these documentaries where they get laser focused or they've got a thing or they railroad somebody or something else. And, and I'm just like, that's that's a problem with the right. And then on the left, you got the opposite problem where they want to defund everybody. And then you see what happens with the chop and the chaz and everything else. Uh, but it, it's it just seems like we, you know, and, and you're, again, much younger than I am. So you grew up in this era when it was already even more divisive than it ever was in the past. Uh, when I was growing up, sure, there was a divide, but it wasn't nearly as as uh, demarked as, as as we see it today. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on on kind of the, the that whole left right dichotomy where we can't agree to disagree in the middle anymore? Yeah, I'm. I, I think finding the causes of that is it, obviously multifactorial. I think social media and and the way in which sort of the most outrageous version of a thing is incentivized, um, and that people you know things that make people angry make them click right. 
Um, and so I think that's really incentivized the most sensationalist version. You know, if, if you're mad about illegal immigrants or if you're mad about racism or whatever, you can go on the Internet and find, you know, the most outraging video that you could possibly imagine. Sure. Um, showing the exact thing that, you know, you you are worried about happening or, or are outraged about happening. You know, whether or not it's actually representative, whether or not it's actually like a, a legitimate problem or this is like the one time this thing happened. Um, and so I think that that really like people's monkey brains, there, there are like irrational emotional brains are really being like massaged by the internet. Um, and I think that that leads to a lot of it. Um, I think, you know, looking at my experience in college, I think there's an element of, I think a lot of young people are given the implicit or explicit um, message that the best thing you can be is an activist. But the problem is that if you're an activist, you need something to rail against. And I think often the demand for outrage outstrips the supply. Um, and so this is why I think you see a lot of really dramatic protests over right. fairly minor offenses, because, you know, we, it's, it's actually quite nice. We live in a world where, you know, explicit racism, for example, or sexism is no longer acceptable generally. Like, I, I think that's good, right? right. Um, but it means that you have to get really upset over microaggressions instead, because you you don't really have like legitimate, uh, really terrible acts of racism, for example, to, to fight against, or, or the ones that exist are very few and far between. Um, and, and so I think it, it leads to this real um, sort of, the, the, the bar for outrage has to be much lower in order right. to engage in the righteous activism. Um, and I just don't think that's a good way to go either, right? Because it, it it incentivizes people to sort of act act first and ask questions later. Um, right. And I think that's a lot of. No, I mean, I think there is an outrage industry, it seems like. I mean, everybody is looking for something to be absolutely offended about. Um, and even when they don't really understand, I, I remember I'm reminded of that college professor. Boy, this is six, seven, eight years ago where he used the word niggardly in his speech, which means miserly. That's what it means. But because he used that word, he was ostracized from the college because it had connotations to be, because it sounded similar to the N word. He, I mean, he, it was, it was outrage over actual, that meant nothing. He was never meant it as an, you know, it's just, yeah, there was a professor at USC a few years ago who was discussing, it was like a business class, and he was discussing conversational Chinese um, and discussing their sort of, uh, I forget what it, what the term is called, but it's words like, uh, um, like, so things that we sort of use to space out our language in English. And there's a very common one in Chinese that sounds sort of similar to the N-word. It doesn't sound that similar in my opinion, but it has like, a, there is a linguistic similarity. Um, and he was using that. And he was also, I believe he was fired. He might have been untenured. I don't remember the exact specifics, but he was yeah. perhaps fired, I believe, for this. And it's like he's using a word in another language in a context where he's telling students about like words they might encounter if they're, you know, talking with a Chinese businessman. Like, what's Outrage. going on here? Just, um, just, hopefully, I think that kind of thing has slowed down a little bit in recent years. I, I think we're sort of past the 2020 peak. I hope so. Here we go. We got to we got to jump back in. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. 
thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Oh, man. Emma Camp is our guest, Reason Magazine. We were just talking about colleges, and uh, we were talking a little bit about the manufactured outrage. Uh, you were talking about when you went to college that it's it's implied, basically, it's implicit that that if you want your life to mean something, that you have to be an activist. That was kind of the theme that you picked up while you were in college, which wasn't too long ago. And uh, and 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 I think you're right. I think a lot of people feel like they've got to do something, right? I mean, that's the kind of the 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 meme there. But to do that, to be an activist, you usually have to be outraged about something, and that's created a whole outrage industry over anything. We had an incident in our legislature here a couple weeks ago where somebody was talking about violence against women, and Alaska has a real problem with sexual and and uh, domestic. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, as G. Gordon Liddy used to say, cheap East German equipment. <laughs> it's... We had a, a bit of a, I don't know what happened, but basically uh, the radio was fine, but I lost all audio to everything else um, in the last uh, in the last hour, uh, at the end of the last hour with our guest Emma Camp from Reason Magazine. And uh, it was disappointing because she is a great guest and we're going to have her back on here shortly to talk about uh uh, about that, but you can go back and watch it on the podcast or on the uh, replay, or listen to it on the podcast if you want. I got most of the, uh, I got most of the uh, of the stuff uh, from her, uh, and it's unfortunate that we uh, we missed the last eight minutes or so, but that's okay. We're we're back. We're ready to go. Shelly Hughes is uh, joining us this morning here. She's just coming on board because I had to switch streams so she her link didn't work and now it works and i could see that she's uh in the uh in the green room ready to go we're going to be talking with her about sb 173 and everything else that's going on in the legislature so this should be a fun discussion fingers crossed that no gremlins are in the machine here uh you know and we'll we'll get it all squared away for today but let's get started with uh, state senator shelly hughes she joins us uh she joins us right now good morning shelly how are you Hey, good morning, Michael. Good to be here. Well, thanks for coming on board. And I apologize. You were you were still logged into the last. I had to stop the broadcast and restart. So you were you had the old one and now you got the new one and it's all uh, it's all good. Um, so uh, let's get started this morning uh, talking about uh, the most important thing, I think, for today, which is the movement on SB 173. Uh, your bill about, uh, you know, arming teachers who want to be armed, the procedures, the training, everything else. Uh, there's some movement on this bill. Give us the rundown of uh, what's happening with it before we get into the specifics. Well, I will say when I um, very first came to the Capitol before, I think it was before we gaveled in, 
was speaking with the Senate president about uh, various things coming up, and he mentioned that he really liked the bill. And I said to him, well, if it goes to the education committee, it will die. And the next day when the referrals were read across the floor, it was not referred to the education committee. It was referred to the Senate Labor and Commerce. And Senator Bjorkman um, did schedule it. We had a hearing probably a month or more ago, and we ran out of time for public testimony. We had folks lined up and um, on the record, it was said, you know, we would pick it up again for public testimony. So it's taken a few weeks, but we are up tomorrow at 1.30. We are listed first on the schedule. Of course, that's always subject to change, as you know, Michael. And so I would ask those that are, um, will, and I'm actually pleading with people. I need people to, to call in and be very brief and concise. I recommend that so it doesn't drag out. Just a sentence or two. Do not have to eat up the full two or three minutes. But just say you support the bill because it's often just a tally. And um, that's important to some legislators. You know, for me, Michael, on, on bills, I have, well, go, go back to protect girls sports. I knew that it was 70, 80% of Alaskans um, across the state support protecting girls sports. But what reflected down here in the building with the testimony and the call-ins and those showing up, it was very much flipped. It was more like 80% were against it and 20% more uh, were for it. So, but to many legislators are really listening. And if the, if the opposition comes out stronger down here, they're hesitant to move out the bill. So I, I really appreciate you having me on because I think it is important for the silent majority not to be silent on this one if we care about our children. And we can certainly talk about the specific, specifics of that bill. But yeah, it's it's up tomorrow, um, public testimony. I will also say Moms Demand Action have been in the building this week. And if you're not familiar with that group, um, they're all about gun restrictions. So um, I'm very aware that they are aware that the bill is up on Friday. And I do expect them to have testimony lined up against the bill. Yeah, no, I mean, I and, and of course, they're against anything like this. I've always found it amazing that we put armed guards in uh, banks. We put armed guards in, uh, you know, in legislatures and in Capitol buildings. We put armed guards all over the place. But for some reason, our most precious resource is our children. And we refuse to allow people to be armed to protect our children in those uh, areas. To me, it makes no sense. Uh, you know, you should, especially if you've got a teacher that is willing and able to take on that responsibility, is willing and able to go through the training and do everything else uh, to be able to defend them, not only the children, but themselves, obviously. Um, that is, uh, I mean, I, to me, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's absolute common sense. And it's actually more in common sense. It's more it's more important here in Alaska, I think, than in other states. And we had a superintendent from Ohio who conceals carry, and he has um, certain staff who conceals carry, and he testified at our first hearing. And the reason their district wanted it was because they're 20 minutes um, from what the sheriff being able to arrive. 20 minutes. What What are we in this state? 80 Five percent of our communities are off the road system. Right, right. Even in the Matsu Borough, the troopers have said um, they cannot guarantee getting to some of our schools in under an hour. Okay, now now you're talking villages. And by the way, we have village police safety officers. We have um, tribal officers in villages, but a lot of people don't know they are unarmed. They are not armed. 
So um, our children, our school staff, they are sitting ducks in, in, in our schools, and it's not right. We have, we have armed guards here in the Capitol. Yeah, no. What hypocrites we would be if if we as legislators aren't um, allowing protection for our children. And, you know, um, it, one of the things that's frustrating to me is how everything gets pushed to a, a, with a partisan div divide. And to me, this should not be, it absolutely should not be a left versus right issue. It really shouldn't be. You're right, our children are our most precious resource because I, I can win any debate with an anti-gun person by asking the question, Michael, if you, as an anti-gun person, if your five-year-old kindergarten daughter were at gunpoint by a deranged um, gunman, would you want someone on, on site to stop that person? Yeah. And I challenge any of them to tell me, no, they wouldn't want one. They would want someone there. And that's what it's about. It's about the response time. Our, our law enforcement does its best to get there quickly. But the, these incidents are over. Um, typically, it's two to five minutes in active shooter. Well, shooter. and of course, and even in an urban area, yeah. they may not get there in time. Well, and even I mean, we've seen we saw what happened in Uvalde. They stood around for, you know, 60 plus minutes outside while they say, you know, so even 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 if you're in an urban area, these things can happen uh, and go wrong. Now, maybe that's a. Maybe that's a uh, uh, an outlier, but I wouldn't want to be one of the ones that had to deal with the with the the pain of the outlier. It was the guy outside of the uh, uh, outside of the, uh, uh, the the Florida school who the security guard the 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 police officer who stood outside while the Parkland shooter went crazy. I mean, it happens. So yes, to have more people uh, concealed, armed inside, I think is a good call because again, you just never know. It gives them pause in that kind of situation. Let's talk about, let's talk about the, uh, the details of the bill though. So what exactly does SB 173 authorize? Is this everybody carries a hog leg or it's a specific component or, you know, is there training? Give, give me the full rundown here. Can, can you hold that question just a second? Cause you, you mentioned Uvalde and I want to Mentioned, I have not read the whole Uvalde report, but it came out about a month of it, and I've read yeah. parts of it. And one of the things, the cowardice of that officer, um, one of the things they realized that police departments across the nation were not requiring active shooting shooter training. And so part of the recommendations out of that report is that every police department require um, eight hours of active shooter training per year. And that active shooter training would be in many different kinds of environments, not just schools. It would be malls, parking lots, any kind of situation, right? So, um, and to, now to pivot to your question, the bill in, uh, in a perfect world and where we had the votes, we could simply say schools shall allow um, concealed carry. Right now it's up to our superintendents. And since statehood, um, they are not allowing it. Now I am hearing, <laughs> I'm hearing that certain certain superintendents have very quietly, without um, making a policy that went before a school board, certain superintendents have allowed certain individuals, principals to conceal carry. I also know that some of those um, who are very supportive of this bill, um, one of them being Donna Anthony has uh, conducted many firearm trainings and is very aware that teachers are taking her training 
and that they likely are concealed carrying in the school. So we do have some scattered folks that are doing it, but right now it is not an official policy that is open in, in our various um, districts across the state. Right. So one of the things to build back to the eight hours minimum that the police departments are supposed to be starting up, this bill um, would require specific training for a school environment, the initial training being uh, four days, 32 hours. And there we have in the bill um, as kind of a standard, uh, a training program that's designed specifically for schools. And we had the founder on our, in our invited testimony in the first hearing, he has trained thousands of school personnel across the states. And, you know, there are a number of states, including some purple states that allow this. So um, it'll be interesting how this goes. I, I, I am not sure. I think there might be the votes to get it out of committee. Um, I think that is the chair's intention, but we will see how it goes. It, you know, these Senate committees have unusual makeup. There are more Democrats in the majority right now than Republicans. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but there were really good questions. We had excellent testimony. Um, and we, we, like I said, we had a superintendent in the lower 48. We also had a school nurse who concealed carries and she could not disclose her state or her community as it's part of their policy um, not to let anyone know who, which individuals in the district are concealed carrying. And, um, you know, that makes, makes a lot of sense. So um, I, I think we have a good foundation for, for the bill and back to your question, you wanted to know details, right? The specifics. Yeah. I mean, the specifics, I got about three and a half minutes here. I don't know if you can do it in that amount of time, but at least we can get started on what is the requirement, who qualifies, what is the training required? What is the, you know, the details? So the requirement is that districts um, uh, shall, uses the word shall, shall uh, assign the duty of concealed carry, so it's a job duty, to willing staff who uh, meet the criteria. And that criteria it involves meeting the um, psychological and medical assessment uh, at the standard of the least uh, Alaska Police Standard Council. And by the way, that does not mean they have to be able to uh, run up Mount Marathon in record time. It just means, you know, basic medical screening. And then they are, need to go through this initial training that's specific for school environments, which is a four-day training. Of course, they need to have the concealed carry permit. So, um, and um, they, there needs to be coordination, the district's coordination with law enforcement. So law enforcement knows who those individuals are, that the school district makes available to the law enforcement training dates, drill dates, um, that could be uh, during the school year as well over the summer when students aren't in the building. So um, good communication. Also that in any of the crisis plans that are required, there is one that schools have to, um, that is public and made available to law enforcement that does not include who these individuals are and where they're located in the buildings. Um, there's technology too. This isn't in, in, in the bill, but it would make sense. There's technology, of course, where the police um, could know exactly where those teachers are, or it could be a janitor, it could be someone else who is concealed caring. So when they arrive at a, at a shooting scene, they would know who the good guys are and where they are um, that are concealed caring. I uh, and and I think that's uh, you know uh, I think that is the uh, is the minimum of what we should have. I mean, again, if we've got uh, armed guards 
Um, if we've got armed guards and banks and and uh, and you know courthouses and Capitol buildings and you know all these other things. Why wouldn't you have uh, armed uh, people? And many schools do. Many schools have police officers and things in them. We don't happen to have that. But again, you know, this idea that somehow we can just lock them away and they'll be safe. If we just put barriers up and do all shootings have happened in schools that were hardened. Right. It has happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this is not an unusual thing. And if you just expect that they'll just wait until the police officers can get there, again, you pointed out in the Matsu, it could be 20 minutes. It could be 30 minutes. It could be an hour. I mean, if I made a police, if I made a call right now to the troopers to come to my house, it's going to be at least 30 minutes before they get to my house, let alone a school that's in a more rural area out in Willow or Talkeetna or Houston or something like that. That's just in this area, let alone some Bush community. We need to be able to have people who have and we saw the shooting that happened out in the uh, at Point Hope here just the last few days. Now, that was a domestic thing, but it's not to say that, you know, a, a shooting at a school couldn't happen in these areas as well. Wouldn't it be better to have people who could be on site uh, and be able to defend those people right now? Yeah, absolutely, Michael. And an important thing to consider is this is all about deterrence as well. Because right now, if there's a crazy person who wants to wreak havoc and and harm people, where are they going to go? They're not going to walk in in a state where close to 70% uh, own guns and many people are concealed carry. That person is not going to walk in, want to walk into a restaurant or a shopping mall or a grocery store, where are they going to go? They're going to go to a school-free zone. We, our, our schools should not be- Gun-free zone. I'm sorry, gun-free zone. Yeah. Our, our schools should not be gun-free. If just the fact that they would know that there would be people concealed carry very likely would deter. Because I tell you, if we don't take care of this, it's not a matter of if there's going to be a shooting incident in one of our Alaskan schools. It's a matter of when. And um, I challenge any lawmaker who is trying to obstruct this, when that happens, if we haven't passed this or something very similar, uh, you know, uh, those legislators are going to have to look back really hard at um, stopping this kind of policy in our schools. We need it. Our kids are sitting ducks to a greater degree than kids anywhere else in the U.S. Shelly Hughes, our guest. We've got to go. We're going to be back with more in a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Whew, man. Okay, we are uh, we just about hit the hard stop there, so we, we got to make sure if you start hearing the music to uh, slow down for a second. Um, all right. Uh, no, look. It, here's the thing. Um, I know some people are outraged about. Oh, can't the kids and the thing. There and and I'm going to repeat this when we get back to the radio. But Dr. John Lott, uh, who is the author of uh, More Guns, Less Crime, uh, The War on Guns, and some other stories, he's a statistician. He's the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, and he did a study and analyzed the writings of a whole bunch of these shooters. And in something like 80% of the cases in their writings and in their journals and their mad manifestos and everything else, they talk about specifically targeting gun-free zones. 
They know mm -hmm. they considered going to point A, but then realized that the people at point A might be armed. So they chose point B, usually a school. In fact, that was a what was it? Uh, 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 early, late last year, there was a shooting down in uh, it was in Texas where the shooter was going to go to one school, but then realized that there was armed guards at that campus and decided instead to go to the second school where there was no armed guards. I mean, this did is you say? Did you say John Lott's um, material said 80% of the shooters um, go through this process of thinking about whether of it's the ones, free or not? Of the ones that have written, of the study, you know, the ones that oh, actually ones that wrote, okay. you know, so the ones that had written plans and stuff, they looked at it and something like 80% of them mentioned the fact that they're looking for a, uh, that they were looking for a gun-free zone. Uh, and in fact, if you want to have if, if, Dr. Lott would be a fantastic. Um, actually, I do. I do have his contact information. We're going to reach out to my um, and actually this would be interesting to your broader audience. We've also been in touch with uh, one of the fathers whose uh, daughter was killed in the Parkland shooting, and he was unable to testify because of, of a medical incident in his family. They were at the hospital, uh, our first hearing, but he's interested this time, of course, we don't have space for invited testimony, but he may be a very brief public testimony. Um, but yeah, I, I um, have been given the information. I have people from across the country that have worked on this in other states and have John Lott's information and um, probably will touch base with him just as a resource. I, I don't think, I, I think that the goal as you know how it is in the legislature all the bills backed up it's to get this bill moving along now and and we can talk about its prospects probably on on the air when everybody's back but yeah um yeah the idea is get this moving um no i mean to me this this just makes sense uh that you know if you have people who are willing and able uh to go through the training and do what's needed to be done and to be able to protect themselves uh i'm still saddened by the teacher who was um uh, and it wasn't Uvalde. It was uh, one of the other ones where it was, he was near retirement and he basically gave his own life to protect the lives of his students. Was, by, I think that was in Iowa, yeah, that, and, yeah. Iowa in, in January. And he tackled yeah. he tackled the gunman himself and took the bullet and uh, saved his students. And I mean, if you have some ability to defend yourself. It, it you know, at least it would equalize the field at that point. But this idea that somehow. The, because you've hardened the schools and you've created barricades, you've locked it down, or even if you put metal detectors in, that has not stopped people. Bad people are going to do bad things. And if they've made a decision to do a bad thing, they will try and circumvent everything that you they can. And the hardening of the schools is – it makes it more difficult, absolutely. And I'm not saying they shouldn't harden the schools. I'm just saying that at that point, uh, if – if they're inside there, then it's like a fishbowl. Then it's just like, you know, they, nobody else can get in and you're waiting for the police. Meanwhile, they have free reign in the school. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, right. And, and I have said on the record that I support doing um, those front end preventions, the hardening, you know, let's, let's do it. But people do get through those. And so what it, what is your backstop? What are you going to do on the back end? And yeah. um, that's what this bill is about. It's it's about the stopgap if those front end hardening measures don't keep the person out. Yeah. Shelly Hughes is our guest. We're going to continue here in just a moment. Uh, don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty based Free Thinking Radio. Let's get to it. Here we go. 
The Michael Duke Show, proudly splitting the left versus right uh, dichotomy. Yeah, I had to look that word up too. I don't think it means what he thinks it means. Here he is though, that guy, Michael Dukes, the one with the show. Okay, uh, State Senator Shelley Hughes is our guest. We're talking about SB 173, which would allow for a process for teachers to be armed to conceal carry in the classrooms. Uh, it includes training, uh, training requirement, physical fitness, uh, I mean, a, a bunch of different things. 34 hours, that's a significant amount of training uh, for teachers specifically tailored for a school setting and an active shooter school setting. Um, and as I was saying during the break, uh, Dr. John Lott has a guest on the program quite frequently um, discussed that in going through the manifestos and plans of those shooters who left behind manifestos and written plans and things like that in going through a lot of that it's something like 80 percent of the time they mentioned somewhere in their writings about how they were choosing targets and they were always looking at targets that were uh that were gun-free zones uh that in fact we were talking about uh, down in texas here a couple months ago where the shooter went to one school uh, and discovered that there were armed guards on that campus and then immediately changed his target to a second school that didn't have armed guards. The presence of a firearm uh, to prevent them or slow them down, I mean, it, it scares them. It terrifies them. They don't want that. They want the they want the non-resisting gun-free zone where they can go in and have impunity uh, because generally speaking, the once a firearm, once somebody with a firearm on the scene shows up to oppose them, um, they generally speaking uh, usually retreat and kill themselves. That's usually what happens. They retreat to a corner and 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 stop themselves uh, in in a lot of cases. And so again, the presence of a firearm, especially the uncertainty of not knowing who is armed and who is not, may give them pause to attack some of these facilities. And places like Utah have been doing this now. Texas has got some districts that are doing it. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, because again. It's the last line of defense. And when minutes, you know, when seconds count, police are only minutes away. Right. That's the old axiom. If it's if if it's over in two or three minutes, in many cases, it takes that long just to get in the car and drive five blocks, you know, to get there in two or three minutes. This is not you need somebody on site who has the training. And that's that's what you need. Yeah. And, and just so you know, um, we do have school resource officers, a few of them sprinkled across this, this district and some, particularly in the urban areas. And these are law enforcement officers who've gone through some school specific training and they're great. And we're glad to have the ones we do in our schools. But as an example, Matsu school district has five school resource officers. And I believe we have 48 or 49 school buildings. Anchorage has some school resource officers also, and their primary um, spot is in in one of the high schools, but they're also responsible for the middle schools, the two middle schools that feed into that high school and, and the elementary schools that feed into those middle schools. So they just simply can't be everywhere and there aren't enough. And so some who are you know, generally anti-gun people are, well, just hire more school resource officers. Well, that's a very nice thought. However, right now, Nationally, we have a law enforcement shortage, thanks to those who want to defund the police and uh, just people not stepping up. 
So it is absolutely unrealistic. It's impractical and it's not going to happen. You're not going to have enough school resource officers. It's also very expensive when you bring them in and that's the only duty. If, if we have willing teachers who are vetted and well-trained, um, we are just adding a job duty to them for the incident, for an incident that might occur. So um, don't tell me just put more school resource officers as a solution. That is not, that's not going to happen and it, it will, we can't do it. So there just aren't the, there aren't the employees in the school resource officer pipeline to do that, nor the funds. The other thing, um, when we were talking about deterring and just uh, that these sh crazy shooters are looking for a gun-free zone, um, there are some states and some schools in, in my research where they actually post signs on the outside of the school building to um, say that there are staff trained and caring. Um, so that, that's an interesting concept. That's something I, I saw after we filed our bill. We, we haven't put it in there, but you know, a, a district is free to set that set that policy and certainly do that. Um, but that that's a unique thing, and I think it would be um, it would definitely be a deterrence. The other thing I want to mention that I was very, very upset with the Alaska Beacon, and I let them know it, because their article after the bill, um, I, I can't remember if it was after our, our first hearing. Yeah, it was after our first hearing. Immediately, right out of the gate, I shouldn't be surprised, but I was still very frustrated because they made it a left-right issue by their headline. Their headline was very misleading. It said something about um, Hughes wants once um, volunteers to care, conceal carry in schools or something, require volunteers to conceal carry in schools. Like we were gonna open up the wild, wild west and then just invite anybody off the street to come in and uh, you know walk around our school ha hallways concealed carrying. That's, that's what the headline implied. And it, that is not what the bill does. And um, the goal is to have a well-vetted trained staff but we also were very cognizant and having myself lived in very small villages where you have a really tiny school, maybe only a couple of teachers um, and you might not have either one of them. Let's say it only there are only two teachers or one teacher and they're just not interested. That's not their forte. They don't want, want that responsibility. Yet you would, might have someone in the community who's retired military, retired law enforcement, someone who might be willing, who would be willing to set up and step up and be vetted and be trained. And so it would allow the district to assign the duty to someone in the community like that, but they still have to meet all the same criteria. So we're not talking about the wild west here. And I, I, I reached out to the reporter and really blasted him on that because you, when you make this a partisan issue, um, it's an attempt. It, it's sensationalism on their their part, trying to get readers to no. draw the article. No, that wouldn't happen. But, but it also set up the opposition. And after that article went, I heard from a couple. I'm not a couple. I heard from quite a few who just are anti-gun people, and they didn't really understand it. But it was fascinating debating some of them because they cannot win the debate, Michael. They cannot win it, especially when I ask the question that I mentioned earlier, you know, would you want someone to stop the deranged shooter who's got a gun pointed at your small child? And they just can't win it, you know, and they'll try to say, oh, you know, put school re reinforce school resource officers. Nope, there aren't enough. That's not going to work. You can't do that. We don't have them. They're not available. 
you know, they just cannot win the argument. No. And again, having the unknown component, see, that's the other thing that really um, uh, that really catches a lot of these uh, shooters is the unknown component. The Greenville Mall shooting is one that really comes to mind because there's a shooter who stepped into a mall that was known to be a gun free zone. Uh, and, uh, you know, usually in those kind of situations, if there does happen to be an armed security guard or a marked security guard, they're usually the first target because they're visible and they could be seen. But it is the unknown concealed carry shooter who, in this case, was able to stop the shooter before he injured anyone. And uh, and, and that's that's that unknown component. Somebody who has the training, has the willingness uh, to be able to go through there, they can stop those things before they ever, you know, get started or go too far. Um, and uh, I mean, that's that's the whole point of of uh, basically diffusing these gun free zones is giving people the opportunity to protect themselves and others. I mean, I've carried a gun since I was 18 years old uh, every day. And it's just it's not because I'm I live in fear. I don't live in fear because I know that I'm prepared in case something happens. I can protect myself and other people. Uh, not that I think that it's going to happen today or tomorrow, but maybe one day if it does, at least I am prepared for that kind of situation. Yeah, we hope it deters it, too. I want to I had a conversation with an Anchorage elementary teacher who is very supportive of the bill. By the way, I've heard from teachers who support it. And the teachers already talked to other faculty on this at that particular school. And they've already figured out, you know, the three or four that are, are willing and would want to do it if the bill passes. And um, he mentioned that there was one time a I, I don't know how recently this was, but I had the impression it was not that long ago that there were um, kids, elementary school kids out on the playground for recess and a moose started coming towards the kids and you know the kids were on cross-country skis now how awkward is that to try to run with cross-country skis right and they're trying to get these kids inside and there was an incident i don't remember what where it was um way up north where a polar bear was hanging out outside of school every school ought to have a rifle um you know probably in a biometric um, storage unit for that kind of incident but that the bill does allow districts to uh, put biometric lockers in, and that would be a a, a great thing to do. Um, if that that moose would have charged those kids, um, there was nothing that could have been done in time to save the child. So that's another reason. You know, not only are are uh, do we have relatively few law enforcement spread over hundreds and hundreds of miles, but we also have wildlife, and um, that that would make sense. I. Just thought I'd throw that in. I hadn't thought of that right. scenario, but it it is a real one. Oh yeah, and, no, and, yeah, it happens. I had two moose bedded down in my backyard night before last, and then the dogs kept wanting to go out. I'm like, nope. You know, you just never know. You don't want to have to to do that. But if the kids are outside and the moose wander in, there was another video this morning of uh, kids on a cross country ski trail, and the moose just walk out of the woods, and the kids try and get over, and the moose and they're just not moving, and you know. It's just one of those things. We live in it. It's not like we live in downtown, you know, L.A. or something. It's a it's a whole different it's a whole different scenario. Uh, so, Shelley, again, um, the hearing is tomorrow in Senate Lab Labor and Commerce. What time? It's at one thirty. And I always advise folks, you know, there are often delays. It does happen. And sometimes the order of the hearings can be flipped around. So. If you're going to call in, I'd be incredibly grateful, but please be prepared because you might be on the phone for a while. You might want to call in early. So you're it, um, 
closer to the front of the queue, but have something to do while you wait because you very likely will wait. But um, I, again, the voices um, of the opposition, we expect them to be out there. So we need the common sense people across the state to join in. And as far as what I expect, I, I think they're, I think it is, as I said earlier, the chair's intention to move the bill out. Um, one of the questions that came up was whether the districts would be required to pay for this. And I said on the record, you know, uh, districts complain often about unfunded mandates. And I said on the record that I believe um, public safety is a very appropriate role for the government. And I think the state should cover the cost. And um, I, I would support that. And really, technically, you shouldn't have, when the state mandates something, they probably sh they, they sh should cover it in, in most cases. Right. So um, definitely in this case, we provided it an amendment to make that very clear in the language. And um, so whether that gets added or not. Now, if it gets added, it would receive a finance referral. And as I mentioned, for those listeners who weren't on at the beginning, the Senate president has indicated support for this bill. And talking to other Republicans in our Senate, in, in our majority, there is there is support. I believe there are 11 or 12 votes. And be, yeah. because of that, if, if the bill goes to the next committee, right now it's referred to judiciary. I think if it goes to that committee, it, it it might get killed. So if it gets a finance referral again, I think it would stand a better chance. All right, Shelley Hughes, our guest uh, tomorrow, Senate Labor and Commerce Committee, 1.30 p.m. Uh, we got some contacts. We'll get some phone numbers and stuff out for you as well. We got one more segment dead ahead. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. light our guide and our trusted friend michael if i reply to the email with the link could you get it does it come to you uh i don't know probably um um if you need me to send you an email like oh yeah it will because i uh I think it came from my email. I think it came from my email address. So yeah, if you want to send me something, uh, okay. Because or... I what I was going to send you, if I can do it, is send you an image, actually that has all the call-in information, all that mm -hmm. good stuff. Okay. So you'd have at the time. Let's see. I think I have it. Okay. Here. It... It's coming your way. Yeah. Just shoot it on over to me and I'll post it up and I'll put it up on my Facebook page as well so folks can see it uh, and get a chance to um, and get a chance to uh, um, answer that and and uh, participate in it right there. So I will uh, look to see if I got it here. Pretty sure that that. Uh, yeah, because Emma responded to my uh, Emma responded and it came right back to me. So uh, did it come through at your end? Are I'm you looking it? right there new right there open attachment there we go okay yep sponsors news blah 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 call to testify got it right there yep i've got it all and so uh i will um i'll just uh i'll i'll save this and post it up we'll put it up there and people can uh take a look at it uh okay 
uh, we're all good on that. And let me change. And tomorrow on your Firearms Friday show, can can you mention it too? For oh, your... yeah. Yeah, no, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about it specifically tomorrow and uh, get more people uh, involved. Let me transform this to fit the screen. There we go. Uh, all right. So I got it. I got it. Okay. So we'll just do like this and people can see that it is a oh, awesome. call in to testify, public testimony. There are the phone numbers. So um, there's a whole bunch of uh, phone numbers there, whether you're in Juneau, whether you're in Anchorage, whether you're anywhere else uh, in the fray, there are all the phone numbers. And again, it's tomorrow at 1.30. So you can get uh, you can get squared away on that. Okay, Greg says, finally, a common sense bill. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's some good stuff. So write down those phone numbers right now if you're uh, in the Anchorage area, 907-563-9085 for the Anchorage area. Um, and that's, let me put that here in the chat. That's in And, Anchorage. you know, all three, all three of those numbers work from anywhere, actually. Okay. So, so 844-586-9085 from anywhere all right i just posted those up in the chat room so you can take a look at those and you can testify uh if you want to call in and be part of that for tomorrow okay um uh, so that's good stuff uh i want to talk a little bit here before we go uh shelly at the in the final segment about the education bill uh and about everything else the defined benefits anything else that's coming on in the legislature what you think is um uh, what you think you're going to see there and so I would love to uh, talk about that as we go through here. Um, mm -hmm. Boy, YouTube, we had a we had a we had a viewer on YouTube, apparently from some other country who was just losing his mind over the whole gun thing. Um, and apparently they just don't understand American. You know, it's baked into our DNA. The ability to defend ourselves is uh, is baked into our is uh, baked into our DNA. And it's just something that we want to do. Um Again, I, but I do want to, again, this one comment that that really bothers me because it seems to be the answer that we're seeing a lot. Instead of armed people inside schools, schools should be locked and secured with police trained to respond within a minute of call. I mean, that in an ideal world, that would be great, except for the fact that, you know, hardened, locked schools have been penetrated. There have been shootings there, and the police are never a minute away. Even in a even in an urban community, it could take as long as five minutes for the police to get there, uh, mm -hmm. and by that time, statistically, uh, much of the damage has already been done. And so, mm -hmm. having somebody on site, on hand at the moment, seems you know to me to make the most sense. You know, right, and you know what? One of the arguments the other side will also use is the risk of a um, ND, a negligent discharge. But that's not realistic because part of the, first of all, the, the safety training, the four days of training would be so much emphasizing and that that weapon would, would be on the person's body. It's not going to be in a drawer where a kid's going to be able to get it and, you know, sitting on a shelf or something. It's going to be <coughs> on the person's body. And these days it takes the finger, right, actually pulling the trigger. It takes action to pull that trigger. So the whole argument of an accidental uh, shooting Discharge, it, it doesn't fit the scenario at all. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where it's every boogeyman that they can think of uh, because they don't, you know, because they dislike guns or anything else. Always discounting the fact that criminals, by their very definition, are going to break the law. And once they've decided to break the law, 
then uh, there's I mean, there's nothing you can do to stop them other than to have use the same force that they're going to try and use. That's the only thing. It's the only thing you can do. Um, all right. Uh, we are 10 seconds out. Rejoining the radio here. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. Please like and share, subscribe, ring the bell, do all that stuff. Let's get back to it. Shelly Hughes, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Okay, um, we're continuing now. Shelly Hughes, our guest. Uh, we're changing gears just a little bit. Um, we're going over to the uh, we're going over to the uh, uh, SB one hundred and forty, which is the education bill that was passed uh, out of the House and then into the Senate. And now the governor has said he doesn't want to sign it unless he gets uh, his specific wants and needs in that which has kind of thrown the legislature a little bit into turmoil over that. So, Shelley, you want to give us your take on what happened with this and what do you think will be the outcome um, as the governor has until, I think, the 14th to sign it uh, to make it, or veto it one way or the other. Uh, but he has voiced his displeasure uh, on it. So what uh, what's your take on what's going on and what do you think is going to come from that? Um, well, uh, the day of the concurrence vote, I mentioned on the floor that after the vote, the, it would, the ball would be in the governor's court and that if he decided to play hardball, I would be on his team. So I said that right out of the gate. I, I was doing that too, um, wanted to vocalize that to be an example to the members in the House majority who concurred with the bill to realize that, you know, it, it could be a better bill. And I, I think it's thrown some of the folks off that have been here for a number of years because we haven't had a governor really probably since Wally Hickel and Jay Hammond who's really taken this very strong approach, but it was it is within our process. He does have the constitutional ability to do what he's doing. It's not always done. And you know, for this governor, that's one this is one area, the area of education he's very passionate about. He understands the industry. And he knows what's going on. You can't fool him on this one. So I am pleased that he's taking a strong stand. I think it's it's throwing some off though that haven't seen that and haven't um, since they've been serving. They haven't seen that kind of strong stand by a governor. But it's totally within his ability to do it. And I think it's good because, um, as I said a number of times last year, as the bill of, to raise the BSA was on our side. This is a golden opportunity. We've been given um, a silver platter because the request for ed more funding um, ne needs to be paired with looking at the learning outcomes. And we would be, uh, and, and in fact, the 2007 ruling, Moore versus State of Alaska, Michael, and I, I passed this out on the, on the floor last May, and I've been mentioning it was in an article I recently did. That, that ruling actually says, if listen closely, if there's a substantial majority of kids who are not reaching proficiency over generations, it is the state's obligation, their constitutional obligation to step in and remedy the situation. And that includes redistributing funds. So, and actually in our Title 14 or education statutes, we have given deed authority to do this intervention so um, it, this, the schools are going to be under 
under scrutiny if a BSA increase goes through and if they fail to improve learning outcomes, I expect this governor, this particular commissioner, they understand this. I've had conversations with the attorney general, with the commissioner, with the governor. I, I, I believe they are at the point where they could actually be sued. We could be sued if if we don't get the kids back on track. So I, I it's, it's pretty fascinating. But the options that the governor wants are the kind of things that, you know, one shoe doesn't fit all children, right? So children have different learning styles. Correspondence, it can be a better option for a family. Um, a charter school can be a better option. Um, these, these things are important. The Reads Act, which I first, you know, I was a big proponent of that because if a child can read by third grade, their chance of being productive citizens is a lot greater, right? It's just necessary. But I actually made the mistake because I thought what they what we did would be helpful because it would give money to the districts to help those struggling students. But it dawned on me that, oh, you don't want to reward deficiency because the way it's written right now, $500 for each deficient student in K through third grade, the district would get 500 bucks. So you're actually right. incentivizing <laughs> that they yeah. have deficient kids. That's not the way to do well, it. So I have. I've been in touch. Take take the the money for that and just distribute it based on a per student basis. That makes sense. You're not incentivizing bad behavior. Well, what kills me is they keep talking about per student funding, per student funding. All it's about the students, it's about the children. But again, there's no mandate to make sure that this money ends up in the classroom. This money just goes into the fund and they do whatever they want. They expand administrations. They do buildings. They do all this other kind of stuff. There's no mandate. And secondly, there's no accountability for actually uh, increasing the scholastic achievement. I mean, we spend more than almost any other uh, 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 schools in, this, in the nation. We're the top three, and yet we're 49th in outcomes. And anytime, I know Mike Shower put an amendment in last time around to say, okay, we'll give you the increase, but there's got to be some metrics attached to it. And they, no, can't do that. You can't put strings on it. Why do you hate children? We don't. That's why we want the metrics to show what you're doing with it. Hey, last last May when the bill was in the Senate, uh, Senator Myers, Senator Shower and I, I had a half a dozen or more amendments, all trying to direct the funding to the teachers and the classroom. And they were shot down. It was kind of interesting because there were a few because they just made sense, voted for them. And then they realized the education chair and the rest of the majority were not voting for them. So they started shooting them down. But I, I had had conversations with um, the chair of education over in the Senate very early on that unless you're willing to target money, you're not going to get an increase. And so I, I think what the governor's doing is the right thing. There are the votes to uphold a veto. And so um, and then the Internet funding also there there is some flexibility. But if they want that, they're going to have they're going to have to um, work work with the governor. He has very specific ideas of things that he wants to help with the, uh, with the charter schools to fix the Reads Act money. By the way, that Reads Act money would definitely make it into the classroom. So that's a, a good provision. It just needs to be restructured so we're not rewarding and incentivizing uh, uh, districts to keep kids at, at a deficient level. When kids, most schools start in August, they do the student count in October. And you want right in August, you want them to start helping that child. They would be incentivized to wait until um, they can put in their numbers to get that 500 per kid. So 
Um, we, we need to restructure that. So, um, yeah, there, there, this, this is a time, I think this is a governor who wants to tackle the problem that's been facing us for years. And here's, here's another thing. Of course, we know healthcare costs have gone up in inflation. So yeah, the districts have had that. But a lot of people don't realize our statutes allow um, deed to audit the district books at, at any point and, and to intervene, um, withholding funds, redistributing funds. And one of the amendments, I believe, one of the additions is um, to have a school district checkbook online so we can see how the districts are spending the money. <coughs> a little transparency there would be a, a positive thing. I think that there would be, we'd start to see more of the money being directed to the classroom. Teacher bonuses, oh my gosh, that is so huge. There are There is research that shows that money, well, it, money just generally given to a district does not correlate with student improvement. However, money directed to teachers does. Right. right now, um, there's well, there's been a national shortage of teachers for years, and we've been hearing the districts whine and complain about that for years, way back when I was education chair. It is still a real problem. I remember Bryce Edgman telling me when I was education chair that there was a 120% turnover in his district. It's like, how could it be 120%? It's because some teachers don't even last a whole semester. They right. don't even last a year. Right. No, I mean, this is an issue for sure. I'm curious to see if it, if they change SB 140 or do they add to it, which means more money in the long run. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of issues here. We're going to be watching it though. Shelly Hughes, tomorrow, 1.30, Senate Labor and Commerce. Her bill, SB 173, is up. Shelly, thanks for all you do. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on board and sharing with us this morning. We appreciate you. Thank you. Tomorrow, folks, Firearms Friday. It's all coming up 6 a.m. Don't miss it. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. All right, Shelly, any final thoughts before I let you go? Yeah, and I, I, I wish I would have gotten this to your broader um, audience, but um, the Anchorage School District just passed a budget that didn't do any, um, it didn't, uh, let go any staff or anything, basically pass a budget that only requires a $100 BSA increase that would keep it afloat. So they just passed something that would work for them that's only a $100 BSA increase. We, we are making sure people in this building are aware of that because this whole thing that, oh, we needed 1,400, that they are right. totally crying wolf. <laughs> they don't need 1,400. The 680 is actually more than they need. So <clears throat> anyway, I, I think that's really significant. I was surprised at Anchorage Daily News printed it. In fact, we probably ought to screenshot it because they might go in and remove that line. Um, but that was astounding to know that Anchorage School District would be fine with a hundred dollar increase rather than yep. a 680. So there's some good information for people to be out there talking about. All right. Well, Shelly, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on board and we'll uh, talk with you again here in a couple weeks. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being part of it today. All right, folks, All right. we are out of time. We uh, got to go back for tomorrow. Of course, firearms Friday. I'm all about that. I'm all about that. All right, we're going to uh, we're going to continue tomorrow then. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.